0: This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to journalist Robert Evans. You probably know him from the Behind the Bastards podcast. It's Very good. He's going to be talking to us today about the situation in America right now with Second Amendment gun right protests. It's all a bit confusing for me, obviously, because I'm a Brit, but I think Robert has a very good perspective on it because he is not against gun rights. He is pro-gun rights, but he's not the kind of guy running around with Punisher masks talking about throwing people out of helicopters. So I think, you know, his uh, his reporting on it has been essential. He's been on the ground. He knows what's going on please do support us at patreon.com slash popular front. So firstly, um, maybe you can explain what is going on exactly because I saw this thing in Virginia and there's everybody out with, you know, open carry and kicking off about something to do with the Second Amendment. You know, as a Brit, I was very just confused by it. What What is actually happening? Because I know it's not just Virginia now, right? There's another one and you know what's going on?
1: Yeah, so on the surface, what's happening is you've got, um, you know, w- which is w- what happens pretty normally in the United States when you have uh, a member of one party in office is that the other party, after they've been in for a while, starts to gain in a uh, Congress and in uh, some some like state positions and stuff. So like the Democrats have been taking over some state legislatures, um, some governorships, and they they including Virginia. Um, the most recent election, they took uh, both sides of the house and, uh, or both sides of the, uh, the Virginia state legislature. And uh, they started pushing uh, for a pretty aggressive uh, raft of gun control legislation. And some of that stuff died on the vine. Like their first attempts to pass an assault weapons ban weren't successful. Um, but they did succeed in like getting through um, a number of bills that would have done stuff like uh, restrict people to one handgun purchase per month, Um, institute red flag laws like there were a a bunch of different things that were going to be voted on and that's what that that gun rights rally um, in January was about was like these folks who they weren't happy with the, the laws that were about to be voted on by the state legislature but they were also all really scared that this was all a prelude to an assault weapons ban that eventually the Democrats were gonna get one through and they were gonna start confiscating guns And it was a mix of paranoia, because the right has been unreasonably paranoid of gun confiscation for the last 20-something years. It's been kind of a concerted propaganda campaign to convince people that this is coming. But also, um, the fact that a lot of Democrats do, in fact, want to confiscate assault weapons. You know, uh, Beto O'Rourke campaigned on confiscating AR-15s. Representative Swalwell of California um, has also talked a lot about wanting to confiscate assault weapons from Americans who own them. Um, and, so neither of those guys is, like, a massive figure within the Democratic Party, and I don't think there's really any political will within the mainstream Democratic Party to confiscate guns, but the fact that there's been this propaganda campaign to convince people that it's coming, and the fact that there are some Democrats talking about it, um, has kind of fueled this, um, this paranoia, uh, uh, that, that kind of erupted in Virginia, um, and is gonna increasingly erupt around the United States, Throughout 2020, because you know there's a chance Trump won't be the president anymore. You know it's it's uh, who knows what's going to happen with the election, but there's always a a pretty decent chance something like that might happen. And uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, fear um, bordering on panic in some corners of the the armed right about like what that will mean. So that's the surface stuff. Is there's uh, gun control laws being pushed and gun control laws being talked about that scared the hell out of these people and they are protesting. Um, what's happening underneath the surface is that for really the last since, uh, you know, in, in the in the 1990s, the, the militia movement um, hit an, a peak in like the mid 90s, which then subsided after the Oklahoma City bombing, because that uh, uh, implicated a lot of militia people got a lot of them in trouble, it scared the hell out of a lot of them. And the movement kind of um, subsided in, into, like, background noise for a little while. In the early aughts, it, it wasn't really much of a factor. If you watch, you know, from your country, Louis, Louis Theroux did a, a really interesting documentary, I think in 1999, um, where he went up to uh, um, Idaho um, and lived with, like, uh, uh, like, a militia community up there. And there is very small... Um, very disorganized, no, like, like fully marginalized, no real, like, mainstream political staying power. But since the late part of the Bush years, that has slowly, and now in the last three or four years, really rapidly changed. Um, and the militia movement now is the largest and the most organized and the most politically influential that it's ever been. Um, and there have been a number of Um, um, major sort of showings of that one of them was the Sugar Hill Gold Mine occupation um, in southern Oregon in 2015 this was a direct precursor um, to the Malheur Wildlife Refuge uh, occupation and of course you had the, the Bundy land standoff as well um, these were all, two of those three were centered around the Bundy family, but they all invo- involved groups like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, these national militia organizations that have thousands of people, and they also all involved a group called the Constitutional Sheriffs. Um, and in brief, these guys are, there. there's a little bit of, they're, they're definitely like related to the Sovereign Citizens um, in, a, in a way, uh, but kind of much more mainstream than that, and predicated on basically the idea that the sheriff, the local sheriff, should be the highest power in the land, and the local sheriff should have the ability to deputize people. And one of the things that we saw happen, um, one of the things that we're seeing happen in Virginia is a number of these people, who these sheriffs, who consider themselves constitutional sheriffs, making statements like, we will not um, enforce gun control laws that the state legislature puts through. And also, in a couple of cases, saying, well, if you push these laws through, then I will just deputize anyone who wants to own these weapons and make them effectively police officers, which they do have the right to do. Um, Or at least you could argue they have the right to do. Yeah, um, sheriffs, and the sheriff in the United States is a very interesting position. Um, And it's not the same in all states. Um, It's not the same in all parts of all states. But sheriffs are, as a general rule, elected um, and can deputize people. And this is why, for example, there's a sheriff's department in, or at least there was in southern Arizona, that Richmond would join, um, and they would do maybe a weekend or two a year patrolling in a car because, as a, because since they would be a law enforcement officer, they'd be able to carry a concealed handgun basically everywhere the rest of the year. Um, so, like, there's... The, <laughs> the United States has all these kooky little things like that. Um, yeah. And so these different sheriff's groups... Um, are, have gotten very politically organized, and um, they were a big part of the Bundy standoffs and the Malheur standoffs, and in fact, when um, the Malheur standoff ended, when that guy was killed by the FBI, um, he and the Bundy brothers were driving to meet with a constitutional sheriff, um, and the news that just broke today is that the head of the Bureau of Land Management has stated that uh, the BLM will not enforce federal environmental law on public land if uh, local, like, sheriffs uh, decide they don't want that law enforced, Um, which is, like, a major um, concession from the Trump administration, major gift from the Trump administration to these guys. Um, And there's a lot of different connections between these guys. For one thing, they're connected to Stuart Rhodes, who is directly connected, has a lot of direct connections to Trump, but also to, like, more fringe figures like Alex Jones, um, both of Trump's sons were on a, a militia uh, radio show, uh, free domain radio, up in uh, Washington State, um, that also hosts a guy named uh, Matt Shea, who is a, a state legislature up in Washington, le- legislator up in Washington, who, among other things, has like is very involved in the militia movement, has a militia of his own, and has, like, written out documents on biblical war talking about, like, the necessity of purging cities. Oh,
0: I saw this guy. He's a lunatic. Yeah, he's
1: a lunatic. But he's also, you can draw a line between the guy who hosts that radio show, between him and uh, the Trump kids. And the Trump campaign reached out to that radio show, which specifically hosts fringe militia people, to have the Trump brothers on it. Um, so, and again... It, it, it means that they're catering to this group, that they, that they want to reach them for one reason or another, even if it's just their votes. And they're willing to make real political concessions to them. The fact that they're willing to say we're not going to enforce federal environmental law um, if you guys don't want us to, that's a big concession. Um, and all of these groups were very involved in Richmond, um, and all of them are—there's um, there, a lot of within members of these groups— Talk about like anticipatory talk about a, a new American Civil War. The Boogaloo is the term they use, and uh, a lot of them are just old guys larping, you know, playing around. You know, they they, they want to dress up like soldiers and like march around and, and play with their guns, which I have no problem with. Playing around with guns in the woods uh, is is fun, um, but you know, there's also a number of them who aren't playing around and who are very serious and. Um, I think one of the big mistakes that the particularly liberals in the United States made was, like, kind of laughing at these people during the Bundy standoff. Um, But what happened there is hundreds upon hundreds of heavily armed men and women pointed guns at federal agents and told them to leave um, when they were trying to enforce the law. And the federal government backed down. And then it took those men to court, and a jury of those men's peers— let them off um so what you have in this movement is 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 a movement that has number one a significant amount of of support among chunks of the american public particularly among the rural american public is incredibly heavily armed is very well organized compared to how, how well organized it was at least and is increasingly um politically influential and has at least very influential members within it like matt shea who want to kill a lot of people
0: now you mentioned that Shay and, and the Trump son. I saw some photo the other day where one of the Trump sons, That the, the ugliest one, I don't know his name, but he looks like a fucking street shark, if you've ever seen that cartoon.
1: Yeah, yeah, they, 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 he
0: does look like the street sharks. That's- <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, but he he had some, like, a Templar kind of logo, I think it was etched into his weapon. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And what's really fucking, so the Knights Templar in,
1: uh, imagery, this is one of the things that's most unsettling to me because, number one, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything shady, right? The knights and shit are everywhere. Like, that kind of imagery is very popular. It's always been very popular on the right. It's always been very popular on the ki- among the kind of nerds who get nerdy about guns. So the fact that somebody would want, like, a knight's helmet on their AR's um, mag holder, like, doesn't mean they're a Nazi. On the other hand, both Anders Brevik and uh, Brinton Tarrant referenced multiple times the Knights Templar in their manifestos. And there are a lot of different Knights Templar. Like you you go on Telegram and search Knights Templar, you'll find a bunch of super fashy skull mask type, you know, kids talking about that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a bad look. It's a bad look and I my guess is that the, the, the Trump's large adult son just wanted to just thought it looked cool. Um I don't really credit him with being that into this weird, but it's like that's one of the scary things. It's kind of like um you know, seeing living up in the Pacific Northwest, seeing somebody, like, roll into a gym with, like, a big Thor's hammer tattoo, and it's like, he might just be just a normal dude who's into that, but also all the Nazis up here are into that, like, you, you can't really know. It's one of the things that makes trying to analyze the actual level of danger in a lot of this really hard to do, because there's a lot of things that are... Um, can be relatively innocuous or can mean somebody is actively saying he wants to murder a bunch of people. And you just really can't tell all the time.
0: Right. And it, well, let's talk about that because, you know, I'm not one of these guys that thinks. Everyone that's, you know, a right wing nationalist is therefore Nazi. I don't think that, but not saying I'm on their side or anything, but you were on the ground in Virginia. You were amongst all the groups. You have a good idea of what's going on. I mean, who did you see? Was it like extreme right or was it nationalist? What what was going on? I would say
1: 70 percent, maybe more, were pretty reasonable people. Um, that I could have a conversation with and get along with, and I do not think wanted to murder anybody. Um, I do think there was some, you know, among that group, a lot of them probably, you know, felt like they could have been Green Berets if they hadn't gotten that ankle injury back in high school or whatever, but, like, on the whole, pretty, pretty reasonable people, not, like, monsters or anything. But there's a good 20 to 30% of the folks who showed up that were either very clearly dangerous, or I couldn't tell. And you know, when so- when I see somebody walking down the street with a three thousand dollar rifle, uh, full body armor, four hundred rounds of ammunition, and a, a right wing death squad's pin or a patch on his his plate carrier, I don't I don't assume that
0: that guy's just fucking around. Fuck's sake, yeah. right wing death squad. They had those. That's what they said on the patches, yeah.
1: RW- RWDS. Um, but it's, that's what it means. And you'll see like the helicopter patches, which is like references to Pinochet's helicopter rides. Um, and so there's definitely some far right signaling like that. And at the same time, you would see stuff like, um, uh, like Boogaloo stuff. So like people talking about like the civil war and like, that's harder to tell because there's a lot of people for whom it is. It's just, it's the evolution of the zombie apocalypse meme, you know? Um, now people talk about the Civil War um, as opposed to the zombie apocalypse, but also a lot of the people who talk about the Civil War do so because they want to kill the people who are their political enemies. And you really you can you never can know. Um, I, and and I do want to point out, I, I focus on the dangerous part of this because I think there's a lot of danger here that people need to take seriously. Um, I also saw some really positive signs of ways in which I think this kind of like this growing gun movement could heal some divides between chunks of at least the far left and right in this country. There's a group, um, the John Brown Gun Club, which has a bunch of different chapters, which is a left-wing gun club. And the, the one of the chapters of the John Brown Gun Club um, was present along with a number of other left-wing gun groups at... The Virginia rally, and they were handing out pamphlets and like talking to people and like ty- trying to build bridges. But also, before that, had been go- hosting an ongoing dialogue with members of a number of East Coast and Southeast Coast um, militias who were like more moderate, like you know, s- center right uh, militia groups. Um, and succeeded in earning their trust to the point where, number one, these guys defended them and vouched for them when some of the more extreme militias like didn't want them included in like this big dinner they were doing, and they got invited and like went with them. And also, you know, the John Brown Gun Club guys printed out like pamphlets on different neo-Nazi activists who they thought were going to be at Richmond. And these militia groups, they gave it to them, and they handed it out to help try to police police because these guys were like, well, we don't want
0: Nazis here either. What, so the so the, like the right wing nationalist militias put out the anti Nazi leaflets. I,
1: I wouldn't say these guys were nationalists. They're right wing militias.
0: It's like right wing libertarians, maybe. Yeah, and I, these these folks were
1: yeah were, were when these John Brown people were like, okay, well we don't you know we're not socialists. We don't agree with you on this, but we can make common cause on our belief in the importance of gun rights. And we also don't like Nazis and your evidence is good. These you've, you've presented a good case that these people are Nazis. We want to make sure they're not here either. Um, so that was really good to see, you know, that's, so it is this situation where there's a lot of things that could go horribly wrong, especially given the fact that this is an election year and there's a lot of other very unfortunate things happening. There's also some seeds of some really positive stuff. Um, you know, and, and one of the things I saw that was really cool, there's groups of, you know, Virginia in particular has a very um, organized and um, sturdy anti-fascist movement. Um, and they they played the rally very smart. There was no counter-protest, in part because all of those people are very pro-gun. But there were organizations of street medics who, like, normally go to protests, who organized and were doing patrols of Richmond. Um, and they set up hidden... Um, Gunshot wound clinics um, that they had ready to go in case anything did happen. In case there was an attack, they had places ready to treat people who were shot that were very close to the site uh, of the uh, of the thing. Um, And they were, um, you know, they had some patrols going through looking for members of these different like explicit Nazi groups that they thought would show up. And I actually watched one of those guys, a dude named Joe Vival, um, who was Charlottesville two thousand seventeen Unite the Right speaker, get confronted by these groups. Or by uh, some of these groups, and um, you know, basically uh, shouted down, and uh, it was interesting. W- one of the one of the right wing militia guys, because Jovi admitted that he was a national socialist during this argument, and then this guy got really angry at him and telling him to leave, but also was calling him a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, it's an interesting situation and it's incredibly complicated. So it's really difficult. I had to talk with the BBC the night of the rally and the guy said, "Okay, well it was peaceful." And I was like, "Well, that doesn't say enough because like it was pe- it was a bunch of people peacefully showing up saying they're willing to fight for you know if if they feel like f- saying, they're w- saying they're willing to shoot people if they feel like their rights are infringed. I don't know if peaceful is the right word. Yeah, like no one got shot. No one got yes. shot. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, so, Robert, can you quickly explain what are the red flag laws then? Because I'm seeing a lot of the the militias talking about those. What are they exactly?
1: One of the problems with the red flag laws is that they're not anything exactly. Um, there's um, there's no one thing that they are. They differ based on like how the law is proposed in each individual state. The idea behind them is... Like, if, if you go through, um, if you want to like hop onto Google uh, for your own edification tonight and look through the past 15 mass shootings in the United States um, and look at how many of those guys had a history of domestic vi- violence, intimate partner violence, violence towards women, um, it's an astonishing percentage of our mass shooters. Um, so, the idea behind red flag laws is that people who have histories of particularly that kind of violence, domestic violence, should not be able to buy guns, which I very much agree with. You don't get a gun if you hit your girlfriend. You don't get a gun if you hit your kid. You don't get a gun if you hit your boy. Like, you don't get a gun if you're beating up people. I don't think you should. Um, That said, the way they're often actually written um, is to take— would would basically make it possible for people who are very vaguely defined as mentally ill to be Disarmed. And, you know, depending on how the laws are written, it could be used to potentially say, well, like, any of these members of left-wing groups, anyone who's a communist, uh, we can disarm. Um, Anybody who uh, has a history of depression, we can disarm. Um, Anybody who has ever been um, institutionalized, even for nonviolent reasons, we can disarm. Um, anybody who uh, is on lithium, we could disarm, which I don't necessarily agree with. I don't believe that just because you have a mental health issue, you lose your Second Amendment rights. That's a, for one thing, that's a scary precedent because if you can lose your Second Amendment right for being on lithium, you can lose your First Amendment right for being on lithium.
0: Also, like, the Um, government can decide what is and isn't mental illness based on who they want to take guns off, right?
1: So my opinion of red flag laws is that there is a way they could be written to where they would be very beneficial. Um, I don't think that... I I think we need to scrap the idea, at least of calling them that, because there has been a very successful propaganda campaign on the right to convince people that these are laws to basically take guns away from everybody on the right. Um, But I do think you can convince people, if you're smarter about how you frame it and very specific about how you write these laws, I think most the vast majority of American gun owners can be convinced of that some sort of red flag law that actually takes guns away from the people who are really dangerous is reasonable. Now, one of the problems is that I don't think most liberals in this country are really prepared to do what would be necessary to make a red flag law um, effective uh, because—so if you're talking about we want to disarm people who are, have a history of intimate partner violence, domestic violence— Statistically, in the United States, somewhere between 20 and 40 percent of all police officers uh, have a history of abusing their domestic partners. Um, And some some studies suggest it's an even higher number. So if you are going to this is and this is one of those things where, like, um, if you are going to disarm people who are violent to their partners, which I think you should. We also were talking about disarming between a quarter and close to half of all police officers, which I'm fine with um, <laughs> as a matter of personal opinion, but there's zero political will to do. So, yeah, yeah it, it. and this is, again, like, I don't know, when we actually get to the, the meat of, like, why gun control is so hard to achieve in the United States in an effective degree, part of it is because... Um, The people who write it don't actually have a very good understanding of what the issues are, Um, and and don't have an understanding of like what a firearm is. Like the the way the laws are written, um, there's a company right now that sells a product that is essentially a sawed-off shotgun, um, but it is not legally a sawed-off shotgun because the legal edition the legal definition of a shotgun means that it has a stock and since this shotgun was made without a stock it is not a shotgun and therefore it can be sold even though it's much shorter than a shotgun can legally be sold because the 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 laws are written very badly um so this is one of the problems you have when trying to deal with and this is one of the things that makes these right wingers more paranoid is that a lot of dumb gun control laws have gotten passed that banned or restricted things they weren't supposed to um and yeah i don't know it's just a giant clusterfuck a
0: lot of the time i mean to me looking at from over here it just seems like there's no way to even sort it out personally um how did this all start then in virginia and you know this kind of ongoing wave of i guess second amendment protests you know there was a specific group right that kind of riled everybody up
1: yeah the virginia citizens defense league i think is is what stands for the vcdl um is a, a, a radical gun, guns rights organization. And radical is their own term. Like, that is what they describe themselves as. Um, that um, they host a yearly event, a yearly lobby day. And a lot of different organizations host lobby days. It's when you, like, your particular political action group or whatever comes to lobby Congress um, for whatever laws you want or don't want. Um, and this year... It was just kind of a perfect storm. There were a bunch of gun control laws being voted on. Um, People like Alex Jones and a bunch of other like right-wing media people um, really hyped up that these laws were a prelude to confiscation. Um, It went viral throughout the right-wing media. The president started tweeting about it, and what was normally a gathering of 100 to 200 people became 22,000. Yeah, that would be sort of like the overview of what happened.
0: Wow. Um, And are these things continuing? I did see some photos, I think, from Richmond. You know, it's like Kay from 4chan basically, like, materialized.
1: Yeah, yeah, there were a a number of channers out there, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, are these things going to carry on, do you think?
1: Yeah, I suspect there will be more this year. Um, I know they're already talking about it. I think there's going to be at least one up in Seattle. Um, uh, I would. I suspect there's going to be more. One of the limiting factors is that you can't open carry in every state in the union. Um, or in every city. Um, so like there's, there is in April going to be an open carry protest in Portland, Oregon, but people will not be carrying there because the city of Portland explicitly bans the open carrying of rifles. Um, so it will be like a protest in favor of a law that would allow open carry, but they won't be carrying. That's, there's definitely going to be like another rally in Seattle. There was one actually before the Richmond rally, um, that was a, an armed rally for gun rights. Um, I suspect you're gonna see a lot more of these and one of the things I'm really interested in is whether or not we see a lot of left-right conflict at these events or not the one reason why we might is because there's a lot of people on the right who uh, have a a viral violent violent hatred of, of you know whoever they declare to be Antifa Um, and chat regularly online about shooting them. And uh, if there were two groups of armed people, and half of them were in black masks, and half of them were the patriot crowd, it's easy to see how that could go really badly. Um, It's easy to see how the police could make that go very badly, even if neither group started something with each other. I also think there's a a, a reason to believe that they might be um, pretty positive events, because as a general rule, the kind of people in the left in America who wear black masks and, like, march in the street to go, you know, take swings at Nazis, are super pro-gun. Um, and, you know, you, like, you go to, um, like, Portland, the anti-fascist scene in Portland is very heavily, like, they, they, they are, like everybody in Oregon has a damn gun.
0: It's natural. Like, I think that's – to me, I think a lot of the American right had a misconception of what leftism is. Like Leftism doesn't mean – first, it doesn't mean Stalinism, which I think a lot of them immediately think. And secondly, it, you know if, if you're a leftist, well, of course you're, you're interested in gun rights because you want to defend yourself from a state that might go rogue yeah. the same way as what they feel, right? Yeah. So I could see it actually being – it has the potential to also be healing, to
1: also bring these groups together and set up avenues of communication and understanding between them. Uh, like, really, either could happen. The scary thing about it is all it takes is one person moving their finger an inch and a half um, for things to, uh, you know, I'm a, a, a big, big fan of firearms, but I am not a big fan of being surrounded by a bunch of people whose trigger discipline and mental state I don't necessarily trust with firearms. Um, you know, like, it's, uh, it, anything could happen, Um yeah, it's one of those, one of the few situations where I find myself really empathizing with the police. Because it is like, yeah, what the hell do you do? Like, you can't not be there when there's a thousand, say, a thousand people are going to be carrying semi automatic rifles down the street. You can't just not be there. Uh, this, the other citizens who aren't gun owners would, like, w- would riot at that point. That, like, why aren't there cops here? But also, you're just as likely to make the situation worse. Like, what do you do? How do you like intervene without making it? Like, it's just a, it's a very, um, there haven't been a whole lot of these that have been large. Um, and there haven't really been any that have been large and that have involved two opposing groups. Um, and I don't know what that would look like.
0: Yeah, that would, yeah. I mean, basically if the police there, but it really goes off, there's actually nothing they can do. I think, you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is w- one of the things that, again, is maybe kind of hopeful is I think I've we've seen in the past the police actually get a lot more hands off when everybody else has a gun there. Um, you know, Richmond, the police were very polite and stayed back and were, in fact, not very heavily armed. You did not see a lot of cops. You saw people up on the rooftops, but like the cops down on the street weren't wearing like the full tactical battle rattle thing um, that they they often do. Yeah. Um, And uh, there was last year an event at Stone Mountain, Georgia, where the Klan was going to go to a a big Confederate monument to do like a yearly thing that they do. And three or four hundred uh, anti-fascists from around the area showed up and marched with AR-15s and AK-47s and lit a big fire underneath it. And like the clan didn't show up and the police, they weren't supposed to be allowed to have a fire or burn flags, but the police stayed the fuck back because it was three or 400 people with guns.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's something to say about less is more in times like that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, it is one of those things where I tend towards pessimism. Um, but I am prepared to be, uh, uh, I'm prepared to be surprised in a positive manner by by how things go, but but we'll see. There's really no way to know.
0: Sure. Um, I know you've got to go, but I just got one more question. I'm interested to hear your point of view because, you know, we, we've, be, we've been about together. I know your views on guns is, is quite similar to mine. You know, people should be able to defend themselves from the state. Um, so I'm interested to know what is actually your thoughts on the fact that protests are even happening? Do you think like, yeah, there's some merit in it or, or what?
1: I think there's absolutely merit in it. Um, I think that um I you know, the the specific laws that were being um pushed for in Richmond, I, I think some of them were unreasonable. I don't think any of them were like terrible, like um uh, uh or I don't think any of them were like dangerously terrible. I thought the the handgun ban like the no more than one handgun a month ban, I don't think that's gonna really do much. Um, but like most of the stuff that they were pushing, I didn't think was like worth getting that upset over. Although there's an argument to be made that like you've got to start from like a firm position when you feel like your rights are being pushed against. Um, I am. Um, I wish the gun rights movements in this cu- movement in this country was divorced from the Punisher skulls and um, uh, uh, like the 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 kind of like machismo. Uh, aspect of it because i think that aspect is part of what makes it what makes it dangerous um i would like it if i would like it if it was more of like the gun culture we saw in rojava where uh everybody knows how to use a gun and a lot of people have them um but you don't see a lot of like posturing
0: yeah it's not cool it's just a thing they have to do
1: it's a tool you need it it's it serves a valuable purpose um but it's not a, a way to like you know, it, it, it's telling that at some of these rallies, a lot of guys will like wear, gu- wear Gucci belts and stuff because it's like um and it's like a symbol because like they, they talk about like really nice gear. It's like Gucci gear or whatever. Like if you're you're having like really fancy body armor and, and uh, fancy like mag carriers and you know nice optics. Um, it's, a it's a hobby. It's a hobby and it's a status symbol, and um that's not inherently a bad thing, but when it is uh I don't know. The, the, when it when it when it gets as attached to ego as it does, and when the thing that is as attached to people's ego is something that can kill a hundred people in fifteen minutes, um, there's there's room for that to be dangerous.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd say definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, mate, thank you very much. Uh, where can people get hold of you? You know, follow your work. Um, you know, socials, all of that.
1: I'll have a podcast about our trip to Rojava out. Um, into February, early March, uh, it'll start dropping. Oh, um, and I will have—I uh, have a podcast behind the bastards that people can listen to right now. I also write stuff for Bellingcat, um, so you can find me in all those places.
0: And on Twitter, it's I write OK. Yes, yeah. I also have a Twitter. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. All right, man. See you, Jake. That was Robert Evans talking about red flag gun laws, the boogaloo right-wing, left-wing pro-gun rights protests in America. Definitely keep an eye on that situation. I think it could go one or two ways, as Robert said. Um, And definitely do check out his podcast, Behind the Bastards. It's really, really good. Basically, um, each week, he just looks at some absolute prick from history, like Hitler or whatever, Stalin and looks at all the terrible, terrible shit they did, and, you know, does it in a good way, like, very, very well researched, but, again, doesn't take himself too seriously. Definitely check out Behind the Bastards. Um, And like he said, me and him will have a podcast series coming out soon, by the end of February or start of March, about our time in Rojava. Most it's it's Robert's podcast. I was just there helping him with some bits, but it's going to be good. Um, Definitely check that out. Um, If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us on the Patreon. That's the only way we grow. We are independent, grassroots. Go to patreon.com slash popularfront. There are uh, bonus episodes, um, all sorts there. We have uh, bonus episodes about weird connections between third positionists and militants in the Middle East and West Papua, like all this mad shit. Uh, what else do we have? We have uh, Dan Nui, the British YPG volunteer, whose family are being really madly harassed uh, by the British government, even though he's away in Syria and they have nothing to do with what he's doing. Um, man, so much stuff on the bonus episodes. It's quite different, actually, the bonus episodes. It's I don't know, we cover more... I'd say like more weird shit and also like more kind of, maybe even more niche than on here, I'd say actually. And um, we do some historic stuff on there as well. So yeah, patreon.com slash popular front. Uh, this episode was sponsored by the defensepost.com, defense with an S. Go there for regular updates on the world in conflict, all independent. Uh, the episode is also sponsored by oracle coffee shop in portland oregon in america Um, they're an independent coffee shop they only sell fair trade products and beans and all of that Uh, see them at 3875 southwest bond avenue 97239 Um, tell them popular front sent you also, this episode is sponsored by Black Triangle, an independent company manufacturing their own low-key self-defence tools. Check them out on Instagram at Black Triangle Group or their website, blktriangle.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, instagram.com popular.front. We're still shadow banned, so you will have to type out the whole thing twitter popular front c-o or my twitter is jake underscore hanrahan h-a-n-r-a-h-a-n uh youtube youtube.com slash popular front subscribe hit the bell all of that we have a lot going on there i've started putting up the podcast episodes on there as well because some people for some reason rather listen through youtube whatever uh, all the docs are on there the uh, ad oil the hong kong documentary is up in full now check that out uh, and please do share our docs uh, from the youtube if you can because the algorithm on youtube is absolutely shagging us and we we just like we can't get any traction with our docs apart from people sharing it externally it doesn't show up in any of the fucking recommended stuff i've had a look um i don't know our whole channel got demonetized and we've had so many issues with youtube and what have you because you know we don't have big corporations behind us so it is a bit of an uphill struggle, but we'll get there. Um, what else? What else? Um, yeah, thank you very much to the following patrons. Without you, this would not be possible. Thank you to Adam Berg-Snyder, Amy Rupert, Andrew Hurley, Axel Iverson, Azad, Bill Wilson, Brian McLaughlin, Trey Nance, Chad Walker, Charlie, Christopher Martin, Craig Miller, D.R., Dan Dunham, Daniel Shearer, Eloise Larson, Emiliano, Emily Molly, Eric Duca, Fletcher Tate, Frank Austin, James from the Discord, Janet Bosuto, Joanne Stocker, Joel Tambusi, Josh, Jungle King Virupan, K. Hardy Roberts, Lawrence Abrahams, Michael Brocchetti, Ari from the Discord, Olen Thorne, Patrick Bronte, Peter McCormack from What Bitcoin Did and The Defiance Podcast, Qball, Ryan Sandercock, Skartoon Music, Sebastian from the Discord, Sarushe Hawazi, Stephen Davila, Tom Lochrin, Tony Bin, and Vida Provost. Thank you very much also thank you to people that are buying the merchandise started seeing celebrities wear it here there and everywhere like even the other day someone sent me um the brother from my name is Earl, like absolute legend he fucking was wearing um it on like popular front merchandise on some random podcast so yeah that's very cool if you go to uh, popularfront.shop that's the website all our merchandise is there again that will help us grow and you can look cool while you're doing it Music in this episode. The intro was by an artist called Home and the outro was by Sam Black, music named Son of Old. Um, I bought him a, a proper fucking URL now so I don't have to read that stupid SoundCloud link. So if you go to uh, samblackpf.com and then you'll go to see all his music. So many people ask me, Where's the music? Where's the music? Like literally, mate, just go on his website and you will see it. Um, and if there's tracks from the podcast that Sam hasn't put out, You know, just message him on the SoundCloud or his Instagram or whatever. Um, But yeah, samblackpf.com.